This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Like the kōkako, the saddleback, or tieke, belongs to the New Zealand wattlebird family. A family to which the huia belonged and which has been established in this country since ancient times, much longer than most of our other birds. The saddleback takes its name from the bright reddish saddle on its back, which according to legend is the mark of Maui's hand. Sadly, this attractive bird has disappeared from the main islands and exists only on a few offshore islands, carefully chosen locations for resettlement away from predators, which appears to have saved the tieke from total extinction. Community or chaos, we can construct and nurture community or fall into chaos. Over the next hour, Marvin Hubbard hosts conversations toward creating a fairer, more equal society. Community or Chaos is made possible with the support of Quakers Aotearoa. You'll find them online at quaker.org.nz. Good morning, friends. Today we have a a session with uh, Scott Willis, the newest Green MP, I believe. Is that correct? Well, not quite the newest, Marvin. Oh, that's uh, right. We've had a, we had to bring someone else in. In fact, if this keeps going, my friend Fernando might get in. <laughs> He's just about only two steps away, isn't he? Francisco. It'd be nice. What? It'd be nice to have two MPs from Dunedin. <laughs> <laughs> well, how are you, and how do you feel about? Um, Becoming a Green List MP. Well, I've had a little bit of time to get used to it, Marvin, but it's certainly, um, I'm, I am looking forward to Parliament coming back next week and, and, and getting stuck in. We've, we've, we're in recess week, but of course we've had Waitangi and, um, and that was a big, big event. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's, it's an exciting time um, with, the work that needs to be done and holding the government to account um, when we we have so many things that need doing. And at the, po- at the moment, they're trying to take us on a great leap backwards. So we need to challenge them. We need to hold them to account. Oh, that's good. Well, friends, we're talking with Scott Willis, the uh, one of the newer Green M- List MPs who's actually from Dunedin and was... A Tari candidate, I believe, as well as being a list MP. And uh, you can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz, then going to podcast, then going to Community Chaos. Welcome to Community or Chaos, hopefully mostly community, Scott. So the Green Party has never done better, but your major partner, the Labour Party, did very poorly in the election, and now you're out of government. So how's the Green Party caucus feeling right now? Is it too early to say? Oh, no, no, not at all. No. I mean, we have such an important job to do, and that that is to to ensure that the government um, answers the questions, um, responds, and, and doesn't ignore public commits to doing some of the things that are promised, such as fully funding the Dunedin Hospital or bringing rail back. Um, and we're ready. We've got fire in our belly. 
Well, that's hope they don't succeed in lowering the taxes on the rich as they also promised. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. So we need we need to make sure that um, that that side of things is is publicised, and uh, and we will keep keep checking to make sure that they don't pull any other Swifties on us. We're going. We're really going to um, ensure we do everything to stop them imposing a really cruel agenda on the public. I mean, tax cuts, tax cuts, retrospective tax cuts for landlords, while while giving a a, um, a tax break um, to the most wealthy, and increasing costs, um, reduce getting rid of smoke free legislation, etc. That is not the way we need to be going. And what is the job of the opposition and how much um, influence can the opposition have? Well, we can we can certainly ask questions. We can we can create um, prepare bills. We can work with people who might share on on initiatives that might um, get passed through government um, if they can see the interest in them. We sit on select committee, so we debate things. When we have bills that need debating, we sit on select committee and work through those. We hold the government to account in the House. So, for example, prior to Christmas, there was the clean car discount repeal bill that went through under urgency. And if we just sat back and did nothing, that would have gone through very quickly. So that under, under urgency was the only time that the public had a chance to understand what was happening, and so we held the, we held up the process by asking question after question after question that the government had to respond to, and that's on record, so that people get to see what this government is doing. Well, that got well publicised in Dunedin. I'm not sure about the rest of the country. Mm. Well, you know, we 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 work hard to make sure that we keep we keep them as um, make it as transparent as possible. What kind of relations do you have with the press, particularly the press? I mean, you've always had fairly fairly decent relationships with the Otago Daily Times, but how about the rest of the press around the country? Uh, and also the television and radio news. What's the... Uh, well, I mean, I don't... I'm, I, I haven't... Um, I don't. I wouldn't say I have close relationships with the press, but the press is is um, is always to be respected um, and try and deal with them in in, in a in a um, open way. Um, I have had the occasion to meet other members of the press since being in parliament, uh, and um, you know, it it as long as we we. Um, Behave ourselves. I think things are things are fine. The is there any thinking in the Green Party, to your knowledge, of how we can do things to actually strengthen the press, it's particularly with the online uh, news and that, to make sure that we also we have a strong. Uh, press is able to hold the government and also all the political parties, including the Green Party, to account in a public way. 
Well, I'm I'm not the broadcasting spokesperson, but certainly I do think that there, there is a a real need for for more political debate, for talking heads, for example, on on television, and in interviews. I think that's a, a valuable part of building greater civics in and 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 discussion in our community. So I think that would be really helpful, rather than this sort of short. Um, you know, um, uh, short short grab, that short screen grab of, you know, a, a five second or a 10 second clip to try and create a bit of drama. I think it would be more valuable for us to have that longer form type of media. So, but these are just my personal opinion. Well, it seems to me, unless you have at least 15 minutes, you can't cover anything. Mm, that's right. That's right. And and fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes was the length of my maiden speech, and uh, and and after some someone who's lived a little bit of a little a little bit, you know, fifteen minutes is not long to cover a big a big history, yes, or a, or, or anything in depth. Well, if you talk about climate change or the economy, you can spend easily spend fifty five minutes. That's right. That's I'm not right. sure and if I'll... anybody wants to listen to me for fifty five minutes talking about. <laughs> The economy. <laughs> well, I was in. I've been in select committee most of the day, and um, we've 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 spent um, about. Um, uh, I'm not sure, uh, four or five hours working on energy transitions. Well, could you tell me a bit about select committees and how they work? Because it seems to me that's one of the places where governments actually become accountable to a certain degree. Well, select committees can be places where bills are, are debated or are explored in a bit more depth. Um, also, places where reviews of of government agencies, government departments, ministries happen, and um, they that they're they're a way of engaging a, in a a way of making government a bit more transparent. So, checking checks and balances, and ensuring that there's a wide view of, of what happens in in Parliament. Are all the parties well represented in um, select committees? Yes. So all select committees are, are, are don't, don't they don't happen in public view, although that there is there is always the ability for public to participate. So so they're not the sort of um, you know um, argy bargy that you see in the House. It's it's more that there's discussion and debate and sharing of of diverse views um with with questions so it can be a more productive space is it less partisan perhaps um <laughs> i think it is less partisan um they are made up of they're made up in a way that represents the makeup of parliament so that there's, there is typically a government block and an opposition block, but within that, they, they're not always they're not always combative. It was a to some people it was a surprise that James Shaw is resigning as a leader, co-leader of the Green Party and probably resigning from Parliament this term. You want to talk about that and first. Why do you think he's resigning, and um, what are some of his accomplishments and his strengths and weaknesses? Well, I mean, I think um, 
James has achieved a huge amount in as co-leader of the Green Party, and you know that's a, he's been there for a long, long, long time. And it is it is incredibly stressful, hard work being an MP. Never mind being being a co-leader of the Green Party. So he's he's led the party into government for the first time in 2017, and alongside Marama Davidson defied political history and increased the Greens share of the vote in 2020 and 2023. And he's he as 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 the climate change minister, James was the architect of New Zealand's landmark climate change legislation, the Zero Carbon Act. So he, he brought people together. He he created something that hasn't been broken by the most right-wing government New Zealand's ever seen, which has just been elected. He created something that had had broad broad and bipartisan um, uh, support. So there is, um, he's, he's, he's leaving an incredible legacy and has shown great leadership through tumultuous times to, to ensure that the, the, um, the strength and, and visibility and, and um, growth of the Green Party. Does he have weaknesses? I know that at one or two points, he actually didn't have the support of the party. Well, I, I mean, I don't think um, that when members express their, um, sometimes express frustration with the way the party is running itself, that that doesn't show, that that, that shows a weakness. It, it's simply, um, you know, the Green Party is very democratic and has a, has a strong activist base. And sometimes they send a signal to the leadership to say, we want you to do more or we want, we want, without actually understanding how how um, the the dilemma that that politicians have to have to um, have to face and and so that can lead them to to do something but I don't I could don't know if you could attribute that to a weakness in James Shaw I guess that he's seen as a compromiser you know this is well climate change has had two factors one factor was that you know, it might not be strong enough to uh, please the uh, Greenpeace or the former leader of the Green Party. But on the other hand, we got a legislation that's been supported by across the boards for the whole by both right and left, and it looks like it's strong enough so it will stay in place at least until after the next election. Yes, and I think. Um you you could yeah the ability to bring people together to create things however um you know if you hold out for the perfect but are unwilling to negotiate and don't do anything until perfect is achieved we will never get anywhere so you know the the ability the the, the strength that james had was that he was able to reach across the aisle and create a consensus on on New Zealand's landmark climate change legislation, on getting the Zero Carbon Act into 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 legislation. Mm. The he's the voters that are green voters that are at the center of probably he's probably held some of them to the Green Party. Yes, so, I mean, I think um, you know there there are there are people. I mean, every 
every individual, and the Green Party is a very um, diverse, has a very diverse caucus. So we 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 represent a broad spectrum of the voting public, and I am sure that James has attracted um, a number of people who who understand that negotiation and compromises is essential to get things done. What are the Green Party's options for replacing James Shaw as co-leader of the Greens? Well, when when James announced that he was stepping down as co-leader, that then triggered a nominations for election of a of a new co-leader. And th- those nominations opened and I think they close on the 14th of this month. And then a vote, the membership has a vote to elect a new co-leader. So essentially it goes out to the members to vote on. How many people put their names forward? Um, as far as I know, there's only been one person so far, but I, I'm not over all of the details, and we won't we won't fully know until the 14th how many people have put their names forward. Okay, I'm going to play a bit, piece of music from uh, another Scott Scott Cook, who was at <laughs> a folk festival in Dunedin a few years ago. Oh. I love this country. I love the people and the land But there's a lot of stuff happening that I can't understand We got billions for bailouts We got trillions for wars But it's hard for working people to make a living anymore Hear me out for a second This ain't a partisan song It ain't about right and left It's about right and wrong We're fighting over the scraps While a few are living like kings Cause screwing us over's a bipartisan thing And it's working people Who made this country great Not the greedy opportunists Or the peddlers of hate if a new day's coming, it's gotta come from you and me. Oh, say can you see? See, I got a neighbor. We don't always agree. He's a bit of a redneck, according to a hippie like me. But if you're in the ditch, he'll pull you out. I know. And that's more than I can say For all those dickheads on the hill He works hard for his family He's got loyalty and pride The company took all he gave And then cast him aside Cause there's profit in poverty Hell, there's profit in prisons And they don't even pay taxes They just buy politicians But it's working people Who made this country great Not the greedy opportunists 
Oh, the peddlers of hate And if a new day's coming It's gotta come from you and me There's a lady with a flame Still calling in the huddled masses In liberty's name But there's fear on the airwaves And hatred wrapped in the flag Turning strangers into enemies And our riches into rags And a revolution To break the grip of greed Don't need a strong man or savior but I believe we're gonna need whatever magic this old world's got left to start. And all the ammunition in the chambers of our hearts is working people who made this country great. Not the greedy opportunists or the peddlers of hating if a new day's coming. It's gotta come from you and me Oh, say can you see Oh, say can you see Well, that was a Scott, was a Scott Cook, an American, obviously, but I think some of the crisis he's talking about is here in New Zealand. If you look at the tax setup, if you look at some of the things that go down as political comment on the wire or on the net, but also if you look at the meritocracy of politics, how many people go to get tertiary education in university in New Zealand? About 40%. How many MPs have not been to university or tertiary? About less than 1%. What do you think about that? What, what do I think about? The, the fact that so many people are not represented terribly well politically. Look, I'm not even. I'm, I wasn't aware that um, that only um, one percent of MPs hadn't been to university, and that forty percent of the public have. I think. I think it's uh, um, it's good to have broad representation, and university shouldn't be the only only criteria. There's all all kinds of lived experiences that we need um, to to rep, um, to be represented in Parliament, and I think there's. There's certainly, um, I can only speak for the Green Party, <laughs> but um, I know that we are a very diverse party with a range of mm. lived experiences, a range of ages. I'm not... I'm, we don't I'm have not, a range of education, though, that much. Well, I think we probably do. I mean, I, I mean, we, you may have one or two people that haven't been to university. I don't know if we would aspire to not to having... To not well, the problem parents. is we if you don't aspire to get including people that have ordinary skills and ordinary experience, they don't get there. And that's why the Labour Party used to be important. 
Well, I mean, I, I I don't know. I can only speak for myself. I have a university of education, but I also have a practical lived experience. Sure. I'm not <laughs> criticizing people that have been to university. I'm just questioning the fact that people who haven't had the academic background aren't well represented and may not feel well represented. If you why, if people don't feel represented, why you've got problems? Mm. Um, so I don't know if people don't feel represented. I, I would. Well, they do feel represented. By of course, most many people do. Most people still do in New Zealand. But if you look, you know, some of the things that come across on the net and so on, and you look at where people the protests on parliamentary grounds, most of those people were sort of average people, and they came from many of them came from provincial cities where. They, or towns where they lost their post offices, lost their schools, and in many cases lost their jobs or careers. That's what we fight for as the Greens in mm -hmm. Parliament. Yeah. I'm just saying that one of the things we have to be considered about is trying to make sure that ordinary people are, are represented by their own and recognize that they are represented. And I'm not saying that should just be the Green Party. I'm talking about Parliament generally. No, and I did so, certainly think that um, if people want to put themselves up for public office, they should do so, certainly. Do you think a party like the Labour Party should make an effort to to get working people into Parliament? For the, whatever the Labour Party does is for the Labour Party oh, to okay. decide. Mm. What do you? How do you? What do you? You think Choi Swarbuck will probably be the next leader? Uh, well, she's the only one that's put a name forward so far, and she's quite popular in Auckland and and in. And generally, well, I think Chloe is the the one person we know who has put put themselves forward for um, co leader. I work I work closely with Chloe, and I have an enormous amount of respect for her. But the decision for who will be the co leader is up to our members. Sure. So we won't know until until um, the the tenth of March who the new co leader will be. What's she like, and what's her style and work like, and how does she? What? How is she different from James Shaw, and how is she similar? Uh, she's a little bit younger. Uh, yeah, different we know gender. that. <laughs> <laughs> That's obvious. Uh, yeah, and um, and is incredibly hardworking, like James Shaw. Um, very intelligent, very eloquent. And um, and and also very generous. So she, I think, Chloe is um, somebody who I I have an enormous amount of respect for. She she can represent a broad spectrum of people. Is she a slightly more radical than James? Uh, I don't know what you mean by more radical. I think. All Green MPs like, uh, wasn't she one of the people that pushed uh, a um, wealth tax 
and did a lot of the work on it. Well, the wealth tax was supported by the whole Green Party. Well, I realize that. I'm not saying that, you know, but, you know, some, you know, we didn't have a wealth tax for a long time as a part of the proposition. That's fairly recent. Well, yes, Green Party um, first first wanted to go with a capital gains tax and tax reform, knowing that our potential coalition partner had ruled out a capital gains tax, we worked on a wealth tax to try and open up a conversation about tax reform. And we all campaigned on, on tax reform through a wealth tax. But um, whether we went with a wealth tax, capital gains tax, we need tax reform. We need a more equitable redistribution of wealth. That was one of the interesting things in the last election is the Green Party went for a wealth tax and the Labour Party's Minister of Finance, who has had a record of being conservative about taxation, and the Revenue uh, Minister, David um, came up with a quite a strong capital gains and wealth tax and put it forward. And then the uh, leader of the Labour Party knocked it on its head. Do you think we'd have had a different election if, if both the Labour Party and the Green Party had been talking about um, wealth and capital gains taxes instead of how many people resigned from the cabinet or um, some of the other issues that they were left with. Yeah, well, I mean, those are the what-ifs, and we don't know. <laughs> but um, certainly we we are unafraid to open up conversations because these are conversations that must be had, and, and we, we, will shape, we will shape the way people think about it in the future. So we may, we, we may have to endure this government for another, another, um, another year and a bit, or, or possibly for the full term, but let's make it a one-term government, and then we can we can start shifting the, the the conversation, putting in legislation that really matters. Many people feel that the Labour Party failed to hold on to their electoral vote partially because they failed to keep in contact with their grassroots, and were so sure of their projects that they did not consult enough or even explain such things as the Three Waters Project, and co and what co-governance meant. So there wasn't a, a, a lot of consultation. In relation to consulting and listening, could you talk about the proposed wind farm in Waitati and its fa failure and appeal at an environmental court? And what have you learned from that episode? How do you feel about consulting and listening? Does that change as you get political experience? Well, I think, um, I think you know, there's. Well, I that this was prior to entering parliament. My my experience with community engagement around uh, an infrastructural development, the the potential wind farm, um, was that really we we can work really hard to engage we can we can do something that's described as beyond best practice and still people will not um will be unhappy because for one reason or another they they haven't been willing to engage or 
or they have changed their minds when when something becomes real. So even though they've, they've participated, they they then decide against it for one for one other reason. And and that that example was one of both poor legislation that and and a canny use by a small group of people of misinformation to to discredit a a, a good project, which is put put back the idea of community energy decades. It's 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 intimidated anyone who wants to build community energy, which is really unfortunate. But that that's um that's that's a a, a, a backward step for the democratization of our energy system. And it simply came about not through um lack of participation or engagement with the community, but through misinformation and an active fight from a small group of people that created an alternative narrative that that convinced enough people to um, to fight it. Can you talk about the legislation you, you mentioned was poor? Yes. Yeah, so in, in 2010, there was a board of inquiry set up to, to work out a national policy statement for renewable electricity generation. And among their recommendations was a recommendation to create national environmental standards for community scale wind those standards would have set parameters to shape what is allowable and what is not allowable and and potentially made community wind a a, um, a, a discretionary um, uh, activity the then national government did not uh, adopted a national policy statement but did not adopt the recommendation to have environmental standards. And as a consequence, the national environmental standard was required to be interpreted by local local authorities. And the local authorities do not have the expertise or um, the depth of experience to to delve into all of the nuances. And so when there were people who put up frivolous um, um, concerns, they treated them as if they were serious, which complicated the complicated the situation incredibly. So, so the 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 legislative weakness there was was enabled mischievous people to 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 find a way to to clog up our local government and to create dramas that that should not have been allowed, but but were through through the incomplete um, legislative uh, framework that we had. Since you lost the appeal, would it have been better if you'd have um, retreated instead of going to court as far as the future of other community projects? Well, the advice we had was that it, it, it was creating it would have created a legal precedent had we won the case at the environment court and the decision with the commissioner was a strange decision the decision that the commissioner gave was that if we had asked for a smaller number for fewer turbines then he may well have granted consent but because we asked for three turbines he was disinclined to give us consent and declined the consent that sent a signal to us that it was worth 
taking it to the Environment Court, and we had legal assistance to take it to the Environment Court to create a precedent to build community renewables mm -hmm. and democratize our energy system. So we were we were received some funding from legal legal aid to try and create a precedent. The people who opposed sought that same funding and would were not um, were not granted it. So because they simply wanted to stop something, we did not achieve um, a good result, and uh, as a consequence, that has that has put the kibosh on on community-owned renewables around the country. But had we won it, we would now see distributed energy resources. We would see communities mm -hmm. all around Aotearoa owning their own mm -hmm. renewables, distributing their own electricity, being able to circulate their energy dollar within their communities and 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 becoming wealthier and and more secure because of it. I guess the question is um, whether to go ahead with something like that or retreat for a better time. And you don't really know until the, after it's through. Yes, that's right. That's right. What do you think about the new crop of MPs? I mean, green MPs. Because you've got quite a few new green MPs and you you also have more men involved in um, the Green Party and Parliament than in the past. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we are incredibly strong and, and energized. And um, we've had it, we've had a lot of, um, we had an MP retreat. We're having another one coming up soon. We get along incredibly well. And I think the, 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 um, the recent Waitangi um, Waitangi Day um, events at Waitangi, we were all there working together. It is, um, it's, it's, it's great to be part of such a dynamic team. And I think one of the what what happens with this sort of refresh is that um, we bring in a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of experience into the Green Party, into the Green Caucus, the biggest Green Caucus ever. And um, and that's that's a really exciting thing. So I love being part of this Green Caucus. I sit beside Afiso in the house. Um, we get on really well. I've, I've got Darlene on my other side, and um, we have you know we 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 just um, click, and that's really important to be able to work together as a solid team. Do you so, think the Green Party will continue to grow? I, I can only see us growing. I mean, I think the the youth understand that, that their future depends on us respecting Papa Tuanuku, on us practicing ecological wisdom, on us ensuring that there's a more equitable transfer of wealth, on us ensuring that we can do things better with good decision-making. So as, as more people begin to vote, their votes are going green because they understand that that the the crisis we face is an existential crisis, and if the Greens are are, are not in a position to make legislative change, then there is not much future for for people. So we need we need people to understand what we stand for, and they seem to, and they are voting for us in larger numbers at each election.
I'm going to play some more music, then we'll come back. A crack fills the earth like a single rifle shot. No one's there to hear the beginning of the end of the world. Spreads through ice, it's like an axe through dry wood. It opens up a chasm between what is happening and what should. Cause if the ice shelf will tumble into the warming sea, and the oceans they may rise until they cover the dreams of you and me. Uh-huh. And no machines on earth will stop it No cunning of the scientists Oceanic disruption on the planet's warming surface The greenhouse is calling The greenhouse is warming The earth has given notice She has given her final warning One thing we must do is to support our politicians Whenever they take steps to remedy this situation We must reduce the use of carbon We must do what must be done And meet the needs of this growing world By harvesting the wind and the sun Cause if the ice shelf will tumble into the warming sea And the oceans they may rise until they cover the dreams of you and me uh-huh. And no machines on earth will stop it No cunning of the scientists Oceanic disruption on the planet's warming surface Greenhouse is calling House is warming, the earth has given notice, she has given her final warning, her final warning, cause if the ice shop will tumble into the warming sea, and the oceans they may rise until they cover the dreams of you and me.
no one's there to hear the beginning of the end of the Well, that was a final warning, greenhouse effects on the uh, world by Simon Kerr, who used to be a Dunedin musician, now he's an Australian musician. You can um, pod this podcast this by going to oar.org.nz, then going to podcast and going to Community of Chaos, and we're talking with Scott Willis, one of the more recent Green MPs who came into the um, Parliament for the first time this election, and with a lot of work ahead of him and the party. Can you talk about um, when we're building new infrastructures and including houses, are we taking climate change and civil rights into account enough? And is our work resilient enough in physical infrastructures? The short answer is no. Um, We are not taking the impacts of climate change into account enough, and our infrastructure was never designed for uh, a heating world. So we, we do need to ensure that climate change is is a consideration in everything we do, in our built environment. So we do need to be making sure that we are thinking about a very dynamic world. I noticed, for instance, when they build houses, they still put a lot of concrete for parking and so on. So you add the problems of drainage and so on considerably by how you build your houses and how you have parking. It's it's very hard to shift the status quo. It's very hard to, to think to, to change the way people think about building, but we need to. I mean we 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 cement is, is an incredibly carbon intensive form um product and they don't we don't need to create impermeable surfaces impermeable surfaces in our cities creates runoff, creates greater um, stormwater, and with more intense rainfall events, increases the risk of flooding, particularly in places like South Dunedin. And also, if we're using cement for um, for flooring, for, for foundations, cement pads, that's, that's a high carbon um, build we're, we're creating. So we need to be thinking about other ways. And, you know, I've, I've recently at the um, housing Expo at Waitangi, where um, screw piles were being promoted. Now, screw piles are, a, a, are still have a carbon component; they're steel, but a much lower carbon component than than a poured cement foundation or or tantalised piles in a cement footing. So, we, and and also removable. So, we we can do things much better. We need to be thinking and using the innovations that that are available to us rather than simply doing what we've always done. Because what we've always done is not suitable for our more dynamic world, for our changing climate. I'm, what do you think about using our own wood more, both as um, 
They have ways of sandwiching wood and plywood to make uh, timber and wood a lot stronger for for buildings, say, if you're going up to above, above two stories. Now you can use wood in some places instead of steel or concrete. Yes, wood has an incredible, incredible potential. I know that Scion have been developing all kinds of wood products up in Rotorua. There, there is, you know, um, you, there is optimized strand board with uh, an insulation um, center um, that can be used as component building. There, uh, there is uh, ply that is used and ply beams that are used instead of steel, as you say. There is even wood, wood for um, turbine and um, wind turbine towers that can go over a hundred meters high much cheaper, much lower carbon than, than steel and able to be produced with wood that we have on site. So we we could be developing much more manufacturing through wood. And in fact, I've I've just um just saw at a um the housing housing um expo in Waitangi again, not wood so much, but the use of um hemp hemp flakes from waste from hemp production. Um, used to create um, hempcrete, which also um, is a, is a something can be poured in situ or or used as bricks with a with a wood a wood um, sort of like Lego connections. So the, there are all kinds of innovations that are possible to use wood instead of steel. What are your hopes for New Zealand with all um, in the intermediate future? Well. My first hope is that we kick this government out w- before their term is up, and um, and and replace it with somebody who will, with a government that will take action on on the climate crisis we face. Um, but um, you know, I would, I have, I certainly have enjoyed working over summer in the garden, hearing the birds around, seeing the bellbirds, um, the the tui chasing each other, the kaka cavorting in the trees. I had a little blackbird that is that was um would hop around while I was digging in the garden looking for the 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 um, grass scrubs that I'd I'd chuck it or the wireworm. So I, I want to see I want to see our bush thriving with bird life and I, I want I want us to have homes that are warm and cozy and and available for everyone. I want us to have a more equitable tax system that provides enough for people to get by on not the extreme wealth that we see with 311 families owning the majority of it. I want us to 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 be able to share more. And and I think that, you know, we could be doing all this. We could be powering our homes, our businesses, our mobility with wind power, with solar power, with our great hydro lakes. These are things that I, I want us to, to be able to achieve. And I think it, all of this is possible. It simply requires political will to do it. Well, thanks a lot, Scott, for coming on, and let's hope that some of these dreams come true um, in the near future, because we, part of the way society can live peaceful is if we all have hope. Thanks a lot, Scott. You're welcome, Marvin, and thank you. It's still up to us, and we can make it happen. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.